0: And joining us now here during the Cattle Industry Convention in New Orleans, global strategist, animal protein with Robo Bank, Justin Sherard is with us. Justin, great to have you uh, join us here on the show today. It's uh, good to catch up with you in New Orleans. I hope you're doing well.
1: Great. Thanks, Jesse. Good to be with you and um, exciting times in the, in the cattle industry. Um, where would you rather be this week?
0: Exactly. A lot of conversations happening here. Uh, in New Orleans, surrounding the cattle industry. And there's a, a lot for us to cover, too. And I think I want to start. Uh, one of the big topics we're hearing a lot about is the discussion around trade, around yep. global trade, U.S. beef production. We've seen the new reports now, beef production down in the U.S. We're hearing just a lot of talk, and I'd love to get your thoughts overall on just how this global trade dynamic is kind of setting up here as we start 2023, because I equate it to we've seen a bit of a reshuffling of the deck chairs, so to speak, trade partners, etc. So just walk us through just to kind of start thousand foot view. How are things setting up in your eyes, Justin?
1: Jesse, I'd say there's four big blocks that are moving around. I don't like the analogy of shuffling the deck chairs because it sounds like the Titanic and then that sounds like bad news and I don't think it is bad news. But we do see a reorganisation of global trade that's taking place. The four big blocks, first of all, US. We know that beef production is down. What we're less certain about is where the, sh- where the balance is going to be in reduction of domestic consumption and reduction in exports. You'll see both. Both will be down because production is down, but exactly how that balance um, is set this year. And I think importantly, remember... U.S. beef production, it's not a 2023 story. It's a 23, 24, 25, 26 story in terms of where we see beef production going. So that's the first piece. How much is the U.S. going to consume? How much is it going to export? And who fills the gap? Because U.S. beef consumption has been outstanding Mm -hmm. the past few years. US beef exports have been outstanding as well the the past few years. So you've probably got three other blocks in that you've got to think about to to get a handle on the answer. The first is Brazil, the world's second biggest beef producer, massive beef exporter, highly focused on Asian markets in particular. Not really much access into the key high-value markets of Korea and Japan at the moment. Huge amount of trade from Brazil to China. In fact, over half of Brazil's beef exports go to China at the moment. Um, I think in, at the end of last year, we probably clocked in around 55%, 56%. So huge dependence on China's ongoing beef import demand there from Brazil. Different product, by the way, important distinction, it's a different product. Brazil is very keen to get product into the U.S., manufacturing beef to fulfil gaps in the market here. B- Brazil does not have a free trade agreement with the U.S., so it competes in the other category. It's only 65,000 tonnes without a tariff applied to it. And I'm throwing a whole lot of numbers here at mm-hmm. you and talking quickly. You tell me if there's too much detail here, but, but it's important to understand some of the detail because Brazil will probably fill that quota it's probably already full now, end mm-hmm. of January, maybe in the mid, early February, it'll be full. And then they start paying 26% import tariff on, on beef. So they're wanting to fill that. And then there's a question of where they go next. Brazil's beef production up in 2023, Brazil's mm-hmm. domestic beef consumption at best flat in 2023. So they've got more to export this year. Mm-hmm. So that's Brazil, that's the second piece. Then we talk about Australia. Australia's been down and out of, um, down on beef production, down on exports the past few years. But Q4 last year, we really started to see the momentum shift to an increase in production there and an increase in exports as well. That will continue in 2023. They'll be up and more aggressive in export markets. They've got some geopolitical tensions with China that they've got to sort out to to get into that market, but they will be looking to fulfill any shortage in the market here in the US. Mm -hmm. So that's Australia. And then you've got China. What's China going to do? China recorded another year of record beef imports in 2022. In fact, up 15%, sorry. Yes, they were up 15% in Mm -hmm. in 2022. The US was up 24% in its exports to China in 2022. But we think China will ease off this year. I think the headwinds at the moment associated with the end of the COVID regime there and the policies and restrictions, et cetera, will make it very difficult. I kind of feel there's so much going on and I get excited about talking yeah. about it, Jesse, that I'm wondering if it's going to come across um, to you and the listeners in a, in a way that they can understand. But we do really have this reordering of global trade flows at the moment. Critical issue how much is the U.S. going to export and yes. how much is the U.S. going to import to fulfill the, the the gap that's created and where is that coming from? Mm-hmm. Very interesting to watch. I think Australia's in a very good position.
0: And I was going to say, that was going to be my next question is, you know, what choices do packers here in the U.S. make domestic versus export? Do we have to import? I, I know that's a part of the story as well, Justin.
1: What choice do packers make? I mean when you're uncertain about things you follow the money where's exactly. the money the margin is likely to be best here in the in the domestic market so fulfilling domestic consumption requirements is likely to represent the best margin for the us packer but We're not necessarily talking like for like when we talk about domestic consumers and export consumers we're Mm -hmm. exporting cuts where we're getting better prices in export markets for example and so that's also the balance that the packer will 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 look to fulfill overall there's less beef so both will have to give a little bit but i think that probably the margin is going to be best and the focus is probably going to be on the domestic consumer here in the us to really try and limit Um, Imports, but also it's really just that margin maximization game. And they're good at that, that's what their job is.
0: Fantastic thoughts there. I want to shift our conversation to sustainability a little bit. That's another big topic we're hearing about here at the Cattle Industry Convention. I know last night uh, you spoke during a a dinner with our friends from Alanco talking about this topic, sustainability, carbon credits, et cetera. You laid out some interesting thoughts, though, when it comes to sustainability. Obviously, there's one piece that some farmers, ranchers still trying to understand it, trying to understand carbon markets, but then also your thoughts about what is going to be the future here. You brought up some interesting points about access to markets, access to finance as well, tied to sustainability. Can you talk about that a little bit and just some of your thoughts with this whole sustainability conversation?
1: Sure. Jesse, I think... um the first point i'd make is actually that this is where we should have the conversation about access we shouldn't be having the conversation at the moment in my mind about carbon credits yes there is a carbon credit conversation going on it may represent some attractive new revenue streams for ranchers in terms of how they manage land and how they think about storing carbon on the land etc there may be an opportunity over there But I don't think that's the main game at the moment. I do think it's the main distraction, but it's not the main game. The main game is how we continue to get beef through supply chains towards consumers in the context of food retail companies, food service companies, and food manufacturing companies who are all in the process of making commitments to reduce greenhouse gas emissions for their whole supply chain. If you're a food retailer, your greenhouse gas emissions are all in your supply chain okay five to ten percent are about your own distribution centers your own footprint of stores your own operations etc only five to ten percent of your total emissions 90 95 percent is what's happening upstream in the supply chain and these guys who may never step foot on a ranch are making commitments about what they're going to do which have implications for the whole chain if you want to participate in that chain and we all do then you've got to understand that the rules around market access are changing and the packer is the one who's actually going to have to fulfil that requirement and prove that they are delivering food, product, beef with lower greenhouse gas emissions through to retail and food service. But that then also requires them to have a different conversation and a different engagement with, with, the, with the feeder, the feeder, the cow-calf guys, etc. At the moment, we don't really have those business models where we've got supply chains joined up like that all the way. Mm -hmm. Sure, you've got some custom feeding programs, etc. but even on custom feeding programs, you may not be linked all the way back to the cow-calf guy. So I think that whole market access thing is really where the main story is on sustainability. And by the way, it's not a 2023 story. You know, it's, it's about how we position to fulfil those needs and keep beef flowing through supply chains, keep consumers engaged, keep the food retail companies and the food service companies thinking beef, and we want them to keep thinking beef. It's a, it's a safe, nutritious, sustainable product, but to, we've, got to, we've got to play along with the commitments that they're making.
0: It's a conversation we need to have, a conversation we're going to continue to have for sure. Justin, real quick, before I let you go, any final thoughts you'd wanna share with us here today?
1: Look, I think, just, I'll just back up to a point I made about we don't have the supply chain models that connect the, connect the chain from the cow-calf guy and even the input providers all the way through to the retailers. We're going to see some developments in that area, Jesse. Some of them are going to represent wonderful opportunity. It's possible some of them will represent risk. And I know not all of your listeners are thinking about, gosh, what's a supply chain model? But those who are at the real buying end of the chain, the interface with the consumer, they're thinking about this long and hard. And by the way, they don't understand beef production, most of them. And so they're making assumptions about what we're going to do and how we're going to respond. And I think we all have a responsibility to try and help them get up that curve of understanding before they make decisions and impose things on us, which just aren't going to work. Let's not complain in a couple of years time when it's clear that they don't get it. Let's invest that time and energy now to make sure they do get it so we get good outcomes from this sustainability conversation.
0: Appreciate the time and insight. Global strategist, Animal Protein, we're with Bravo Bank, Justin Sherard. Thanks for joining us here at the Cattle Industry Convention, sir. We'll talk to you again soon.
1: Pleasure, Jesse. Thanks for having me.